At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it. But what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths. And if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? So we're starting this new series this morning. We're calling it Church, Why Bother? I think it's a great way for us to start the new year. That question, Church, Why Bother, is one that I think so many right now are answering in their own lives. And they're not answering the question with positivity. Just generally across the, the spectrum of culture right now, when people hear that or think about that question, Church, Why Bother? It's not a, it's not a receptive question. And let me show you the data on that. In March of 2021, Gallup published a report that for the first time in the United States history, a majority of Americans are not members of a house of worship. Presently, right now, the statistics say about only 47% of American adults belong to a local church. 47%. Now, let me show you how that contrasts and, and put it into a comparison of what was. In 1999, so just a little bit over 20 years prior, that number, the number of Americans that were members of a local church was at 70%. So do you see the decline? Almost a quarter of the American population in the last 20 years said, yeah, we're out. No more. Dramatic decline. And when you drill down into the specifics of the numbers themselves and even the generational segments that go along with that, the, the reality becomes all the more alarming. For example, of that data, 36% of millennials, the millennial generation, only 36% is active in participating in a local church. Two-thirds of our country's population in the millennial generation saying, nope. Nope. The decline, though, isn't just in the millennials. It's across every demographic in our country. It seems like the majority of our culture is not asking the question, church, why bother? It's actually making a statement. Church, why bother? Done with it. Maybe perhaps you're asking the question here this morning. You're looking at a new year, you're looking at your life, and you're saying, okay, well, let's figure this out. What, what does it mean to be a part of a church? Why should I care? I'm going to check this one out and find out if it's any good. Like, what about you this morning? Well, over the next several weeks, over the next 10 weeks, we want to examine one of the most personal and formational letters in the Bible about the church and the ministry of the church. This letter is Paul, uh, Paul's first letter to Timothy that we have. It's 1 Timothy. And it's written from Paul, apostle, to his young protege, his young disciple, a man that he saw come to Christ and had been mentoring and training and coaching all along. And he's writing this letter to him to say, Timothy, I want to shape you and form you and help you understand what it means to be a part of the church, what the church is to do, how it's to behave, the function, the ministry, all of it around the church and what your leadership looks like in that. We're going to go back to basics and ask the question, church, why does it bother what is the importance of it for us? But before we dive into the text this morning, I want to help us understand and hear from one another about why, why we value the local church. 
why, why we should bother as well. And so over the next 10 weeks, I'm going to be introducing you to people in our congregation and allowing you to hear from them about their answer to that question. And so Becca and Elijah Martin, I'm, I am not putting them on the spot. I gave them advance notice that I was calling them up today. Uh, Becca and Elijah Martin are coming up and they are part of our church family. And uh, I've asked them to share a little bit this morning. Come up here, guys. Be up front. Be cozy. Um, Becca, if you don't know, and I'll let her share this a little bit, Becca is our campus administrative assistant. So if you ever hear me say, hey, connect with Becca, and you're like, who is that? This is her. Uh, so here, you guys hold that for just a moment there. I just have some questions for you. I just want to help you get familiar with the church and the church uh, with you guys. So tell us who you are, Becca and Elisha Martin. Who are you? What do you do? Life, all that kind of thing. Just give us a, give us a run. So my name's Eli Martin, and... <laughs> been a Christian since I was a teenager, and um, locally I'm from Alpena, Michigan. It's so way up north. Moved down here for work. Um, went to school for concrete technology, so had to get out of more or less the Hicks and <laughs> go no near the Detroit area to the concrete jungle to find work. And I found my beautiful wife. Um, a few years moving down here working, and we met at Life Church. Um, we've been married for close to four years now, and it's been wonderful, and yeah. yeah. I'm Becca Martin. As Jeremy was saying, I'm the campus admin here. I was a teacher prior to um, being campus admin. For about six years, I was a teacher. Um, I absolutely love coming to this church. We just felt once we were married, it was kind of time to um, move on from the church that we were at and came searching and came here and just absolutely fell in love with it. So we've been here for about a little over three years now. We were just figuring that out this morning. So, yeah. Doing the math. Okay, so I, that was going to be my second question. Yeah. Of like, how long have you been at Woodside? What got you here? Tell us a little, and I know we have a particular story about it, or you guys do, I remember anyway, but, but tell us a little bit about what got you to Woodside and how long you've been here. And yeah. yeah, so we were just kind of feeling led that it was time to leave the church that we were at prior. Um, and so we had some friends who came here first and invited us to come along. So we started to come and visit here and just really felt that this was where we were supposed to stay because the first time that we came, we were sitting there brand new, didn't really know anybody here, sitting by ourselves, um, just kind of keeping to ourselves. But then we had three different people come up to us and ask who we were, ask how we were, and just wanted to get to know us. And so the first was Jeremy. And so we were like, the pastor actually cares. The pastor wants to know who we are, why we're here, where we came from, all of that good stuff. Then we had someone from the worship team come, which they didn't have to come and introduce themselves to us, but they did. And then we just had a person sitting near us in the congregation come. So we were like, we've had staff, volunteer, and just congregation member come and welcome us to this church. This is where we're going to stay. Yeah, and they came uh, to one of our, uh, we call them our, our Woodside Connect events. It's a luncheon that we have for newcomers. We'll have another one here coming up real soon uh, for those of you who are new, but they came to one of our Woodside Connect luncheons uh, in March of 2020, and then the very next Sunday, uh, we had, you know, a lockdown happen, and uh, couldn't come back to church, and, and through that series, it was about 15 weeks that we had a gap of being able to gather together. Uh, they hung online with us and, and came around and have been here ever since. So, okay, so here's the big question that we're asking everybody. Why bother with the church? What is, what is the meaning and the importance of it for you guys, and why, why, what would you commend to the congregation? Yeah, for me, it's finding a place where you can have community and you can kind of worship together, but also kind of study God's word together, encourage one another. And, I mean, we go through life struggles. Everybody does. And we kind of need each other. And for me, this is the spot for that. 
um, with small groups. We can really dive into God's word together. We can grow with one another. We can talk about hard times and kind of grieve with one another. And it's been um, one of my most cherishable parts is now I'm a small group leader with Jason Bangle, and it's been really rewarding to um, prepare and have that responsibility to really care and put your time into it. And um, we've also learned to serve with the student ministry, and that's been really rewarding. To, yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> Ryan, awesome. Claude, yeah. <laughs> yep, so it's been really rewarding to kind of see your guys' kids grow up and kind of see them grow, and um, it's been a real blessing for me. And so, yeah. Yeah, I'd also say, um, just specifically for our story, we met in church, and we got to grow as a dating couple in church, and then a married couple. The majority of our wedding party was people we met at church, and then we, like he was saying, we lead a group with the Bengals. We met them at our prior church. They were the ones who invited us here, and now we've been able to grow with them as friends and now lead a life group together. And so we've just really found that church is the place we find the people that we're going to do life with who are going to really care for us, and they're going to be there in the hard times, and they're going to be there in the wonderful times. And so you're going to have this built-in group of people who want to love you and want to serve you and want to serve the church with you. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you guys for sharing this morning. Can you just encourage them? And um, Yeah. And, and I want to make that connection there for you. They mentioned they were life group leaders. So as I said earlier, if you're not connected with a life group, talk to them. They're going to tell you all about getting connected with their life group and would love to serve you in that way. I hope you heard some, some helpful things for you to consider in that. Uh, so let's dive in. Let's go to 1 Timothy now. Let's get into the scriptures. If you have your Bible, open it up to 1 Timothy 1, uh, 1 and 2. And we're going to ask a question. We're going to start out by asking the question. If we're going to talk about why bother, we should probably seek to understand what the church is. So, so I want to ask a question this morning. What is the church? What is the church? If we're going to say it's important, it's valuable, it's essential for our spiritual lives and our growth, well, what is it? What are we talking about? If we're going to affirm or deny the value of the church, we probably better understand actually what it is. So let me give us a couple points of contact by, on what we mean by the church. The word church in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia. It translates to assembly or gathering. It was referenced in the Old Testament in Greek translations of that to the gathering of God's people in the temple. But in the New Testament, in the Greek culture, it was referenced to the gathering of the town community together in kind of a democratic city-state. You think of it like a town hall or a coming of a council or assembly together. Many of us today talk about the church as a building, so we use the phrase, I am going to church, and we refer to like coming to this structure or to this particular place. But, but in the New Testament concept of the church, it's much more broad than just a building. In fact, it's, it's more of a community together. As many say, the church is a people, not a place, not a building. The New Testament metaphors used for the church include the church being the bride of Christ, that we are wed to Jesus. Or another metaphor is that we are the household of God, speaking of family together. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Or that we are a spiritual temple. There is a building sense of it. We are a temple, God's people together, where the Holy Spirit dwells within us and through us. Another metaphor that the New Testament uses is that we are the body of Jesus Christ. We are his uh, incarnate, lived out reality in the world presently right now. In essence, the scriptures picture the church of that as a community of believers that have been set apart and dedicated to God and to each other. Or if I can answer the question this way, what is the church? 
Here's the definition I'll give. The church is a family that upholds the truth and spreads the gospel. The church is a family that upholds the truth and spreads the gospel. Now, I'm not just making that definition up out of thin air. I want us to see that this is how Paul encourages and instructs Timothy to see the church as well. This letter of 1 Timothy is written from Paul to, his younger, to this younger man, Timothy, who Paul has discipled and trained as a leader and pastor in the church. Paul was probably in Macedonia, just north of Greece, when he wrote this letter to Timothy, who he left in Ephesus, a city just on, it's in modern-day Turkey. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy there in Ephesus, and he said, Timothy, I'm leaving you, you can look at verse 3, I'm, I'm leaving you in Ephesus for a specific reason, to handle some issues within the church and within that community. We'll get into those issues in the weeks ahead, but today we're going to identify the key purpose that Paul has for writing this letter. Why did Paul have the urge and have the necessity to write to Timothy to speak about the church? And that purpose relates to the dynamics of what the church is. And these introductory verses, kind of the headlining verses of this letter, Reveal to us how Paul thinks about the church, how we're to think about the church, and then when we get into the purpose statement, we'll see the dynamics even more developed of what the church actually is. So let me take that definition. The church is a family that upholds the truth and spreads the gospel, and let's just kind of break it apart and examine it bit by bit as we look through this introductory passage here in 1 Timothy 1 and then in 1 Timothy 3. Paul has three dynamics about what the church is and how that looks in our lives. First of all, the first dynamic is that the church is a spiritual family. We are spiritual family together. And we see that in how Paul talks about God in this passage, how he talks about himself, how he talks about Timothy, and how he talks about all the people of the church. So we we get this, verse 1. Paul says, Paul, he's the one who's writing, he's introducing him. So Paul, he's the author of this letter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. So what is said here is that, first of all, Paul is the one writing this. He is writing this with apostolic authority behind it. He is, he is demonstrating and declaring he bears the office of an apostle. And you could say the office of capital A apostle. These apostles were these 12 specific men who had been trained directly by Jesus, had been directly discipled by Jesus, and had seen the resurrected Jesus after his death and resurrection. They had seen him bodily alive, and they were given a specific call and task to proclaim and spread the gospel to all the nations. They were to be the establishment and the the founding of the church as its leaders and representatives. Now, if you know the Bible well, you say, well, wait a second, Paul came along later. Like Jesus had his 11, 12 disciples, and then Judas bailed out, and then Paul came along later. So how was Paul an apostle? Well, Paul recognizes this as well, and he says, I'm like one that was untimely born, I was out of step. But nonetheless, Paul had specific direct revelation from Jesus Christ after he was converted. Jesus directly trained Paul in the gospel, trained Paul in the word of God, and Paul saw Jesus with his own two eyes, the resurrected Jesus. He was given a specific call and command to be an apostle to the Gentiles. So where many of the apostles were taking the gospel to the Jewish people, Paul's specific mission was to take the gospel to those non-Jewish people, the Greek and Roman Empire, even as far as Spain was away. He was trying to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's Paul's ministry. That's his direct call. So he's writing this as an apostle, a foundational leader for the church, and he's saying this comes by command of God our Savior. 
Paul didn't wake up one morning and go, you know, I think I want to try a new job. Like this religious leadership education thing, it's interesting to me. Maybe I'll be an apostle. And he just kind of puts his application in and, you know, finds something on LinkedIn and says, oh, they're looking for apostles. I'll sign up and do that. Paul says, no, this command, this office that I fulfill, it's been given to me by God. God commanded me. He saved me directly. And he said, Paul, this is the burden and the ministry of your life. He's been given that call, the command of God. So what Paul has to say here is coming from the Holy Spirit as an authoritative, direct word from God. This letter carries God's word for us. It's out of his authority. But out of his authority, it's really a statement about who God is. Because notice what Paul says. This comes by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Paul's not speaking as a tyrannical leader or some dictator. He's speaking from God, for God, in the love of God, to help people see God, the Savior, Christ Jesus, our hope. He's an authoritative messenger, a sent one, with the message that God is the Savior. God is the one who rescues us from our sin and our rebellion through Jesus Christ. What he has done is what we anchor our hope and our lives upon. So see this now. Paul, an authoritative messenger, a sent one, with a message from God that God is the Savior. Jesus Christ is our hope. And he's writing this letter. We can see this in the second verse. He's writing it, and it's a very personal letter. To Timothy. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. Let me just pause right there. Paul here is is speaking relationally. He isn't writing this as a CEO, giving out the job description, saying, here's the, here's the task you have ahead, go handle those. He's not speaking as a military general and saying, Timothy, my lieutenant, here's the orders, fulfill them, carry them out. He's writing this as a spiritual father to his spiritual son. Paul was the one who shared the gospel with Timothy, along with Timothy's mother and grandmother. Paul was the one who baptized Timothy, who commissioned Timothy, who poured his life into Timothy. There is a deep pastoral concern and fatherly relationship between Paul and Timothy. And he uses family language to address Timothy, my child in the faith. It's a relational sense, not just commands and orders and dictates from a hierarchical structure of leadership. Paul's helping us see the church as a family together. And he makes it very clear that in this family, God is the center of this family. God has family relationship with us as well. So he he declares a blessing over Timothy. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is praying that Timothy would experience God's abundant love, his kindness and mercy, and the peace that comes from being reconciled to him. And now we can relate to God as our father. Paul orients Timothy to know God as his father, the one who loves us and is gracious and merciful and full of steadfast love that has been displayed and revealed in Jesus Christ. So when he prays grace and mercy and peace, Timothy, you would know the love of God in your life. You would know the compassion of God in your life. You would know that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus from God your father. He's your dad. You can relate to him as father. Christ Jesus, your Lord and brother. There's family relationship here. 
This language is all tuned up to help us see the church as a spiritual family with sons and daughters, God our Father, brothers and sisters together. In Christ, we need to see one another as family. We belong to each other as family. That means we must love each other, care for each other, support each other, encourage each other, build one another up as family. So let me give you a framework for thinking about what it looks like to go to church. When you go to church, think about it this way. You're coming to a family reunion. You're there with your brothers and sisters, all of us a mess, all of us rebels, all of us estranged from God at one time, and God shows his love and his grace and his mercy, and he adopts us into his family. He, he leans in, he sends Christ for us, who died in our place and was raised to life again, and he says, you're my son, you're my daughter. You're now brothers and sisters with each other, all adopted children together, and we're having this great big family reunion every week when we get together in this setting as a family together in the Lord. That means... We have a spiritual obligation to each other. With our brothers and sisters, we're to see to their spiritual flourishing and well-being. And, and that's, that's how we're to think about one another. Paul tells Timothy a little bit later in this letter, in chapter 5, he says, think about your family this way. He says, don't rebuke an older man in the church, but encourage him as you would a father. And treat younger men as brothers. Timothy, when you look at the women in the congregation, look at older women as mothers. And, and treat the younger women as sisters in all purity. Now, Paul's point there is to say the church is a spiritual family. We need each other. We're obligated to each other. We can't do it on our own. One of the sure signs to me that someone is in spiritual danger is when they start backing away, isolating, and disconnecting themselves from the local church. It's a sure sign. Tragedy is about to happen spiritually. That's because the church is designed to be for one another with one another, in life together. Friends, we need one another. We are committed to one another. We've got to care for each other. You think about the statements in the New Testament that end with one another. There's statements like forgive one another, love one another, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, exhort one another, love one another. We can't do these things on our own. We're spiritual family. We must care about each other. So that's where the church starts. As we look at it together, the first dynamic is that we are a spiritual family. As, as you gather each Sunday, as you get into life groups, look one another in the eye and say, there's my brother in Christ. There's my sister in the Lord. I need to know them and care for them and love them. Spiritual dynamic number one, that we are a spiritual family. Number two, the second dynamic of the church is that we model and confess the truth. Now, we're not just some group of people that hang out together all the time and like, yeah, we get together once a week and somebody talks and we sing and then we go our separate ways. We, we have a specific thing that we stand upon. There's something that unites us together, something that we share in common, a core to who we are. And that core is the truth, that we model and confess the truth. So go with me over to chapter three now, because I'm going to take us right to the purpose statement of this letter that Paul has in 1 Timothy 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. He gets to his purpose statement. He says, I hope to come to you soon. Remember, Paul's in Macedonia. Timothy is in Ephesus. He says, I hope to come to you soon to get back over there. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. 
Paul's saying, my intention is to get there to you, to be with you, but if something holds me up, if the providence of God keeps me from being with you again, Timothy, I want to put it on record how you are to behave in the local church, how the church is to live together, how you are to be. And I want you to see who the church is, the the church of the living God, the household of God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. His purpose is that Timothy and we, by implication, would know how to behave together. How should we live together as the church? And again, notice, there's that family language. We are a household, the household of the living God. We belong to one another. But his purpose in this letter is that we would know how we are to behave together. That is, there's a family culture. There's a family manner of life or a code of conduct that informs our behavior and our lifestyles. That family culture, the family traits, if you will, isn't some sort of arbitrary set of ideas or dreams. It's consistent and stems from the truth. It comes from the truth itself. So Paul says that, I want you to know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church, a pillar and buttress of the truth. That is, our behavior and our patterns of life have to be consistent with the truths of God. God isn't just interested in how we think and our doctrine There's lots of churches that have good and solid doctrine, but they don't behave well inconsistent with that truth together. Paul's emphasis is, I want you to behave in the right way that goes along with the doctrine that you profess. Or one of the ways I like to say it is our gospel doctrine has to match our gospel culture. We have to live together in that way. The church of Jesus is a people of truth because Jesus himself is the way, the truth, and the life. So in speaking here of the church, Paul uses... This metaphor, household of God, he's pointing to the temple, the metaphor of the temple. Now, he does that because Ephesus was a city known with lots of temples. There was a temple on every corner, but there was a huge temple in the center of the city that was the most magnificent one. It was the temple of Artemis. That temple was the uh, goddess Artemis. She was the fertility goddess of their area and their region. And that temple was known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The temple itself to Artemis was four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens, absolutely massive. It had 127 columns or pillars that were 60 feet tall that held up that building. You could see it from miles away. So Paul here, using the metaphor of the church as the pillar and the buttress of truth, the household of God, the temple of God, is speaking against the cultural lies of the Ephesians. They're worshiping this fertility goddess in the city. And Paul says, no, the truth is truly found in the household of God, the church. That's where the truth is really displayed. And he calls it the church of the living God to contrast this temple where this goddess was worshipped. who was just a stone statue. No life, no ability, no power. But the church, the church of the living God is where the true God exists, where he lives and reigns and rules and he acts the church of the living God, and it's the church that is the pillar and the buttress of truth. These two words here display how a temple structure stood and was upheld. The term buttress here in the English Standard Version could be better translated foundation. That is to say that the household of God stands, it stands on the foundation of the truth. What is the truth? It's the word of God given for us, the foundation of the teaching of the prophets and the apostles and of Jesus himself. 
The entire structure is only as strong and durable as its foundation is. The church is built upon the truth. We stand on the truth. Any deviation from the truth and the whole structure collapses. It's weakened. It's no longer strong. So we must stand on the truth. But as we stand on the truth and confess it, we must also display it and model it. And so here Paul pictures the pillars. The church upholds the truth in the world. We aren't free to make up the story however we like or to sow alternative facts or misinformation. We stand on the truth of the gospel of God and we uphold that gospel in the midst of the world that would create alternative and competing narratives and spread disinformation about reality. We model the truth by how we live it out and behave as we stand on the truth and confess it. Maybe you've seen those signs on, uh, on the front yards of uh, people's homes around the area or sometimes in, in their homes itself, the, the signs that say, in this house we believe, dot, dot, dot. Some of them are, are pretty uh, motivated and directed in a certain agenda. Some of them are more lighthearted and placed somewhere in the house where everybody can see it in the kitchen or a foyer. They're a bit of a creed or a confession, some of them a secular creed or confession about the world and the way it lives. I like this one about, from a household. It says this, in this house, we do second chances. We do grace. We do mistakes. We do I'm sorry. We do loud really well. We do joy. We do hugs. We do family. We do love. And I would just add to that, we don't do English grammar because we only know one verb, do. That sign is kind of a sense of a household code what we value or are about. The church has a household code as well. It's consistency with the truth. That's why we seek to know the Bible. Doctrine and theology matters. It does. But it matters in only in relationship to how we live it. It comes back to how we live. So if we say, we believe that God is love and that God is forgiving, but we don't love one another, we don't forgive each other, guess what? We're hypocrites. We deny the truth. We say, we say we believe, we believe that Christ's death is available to anyone. Jesus is the Savior for the whole world. But we don't share the gospel. It doesn't inform our behavior, and we don't share the gospel with anyone. Well, we're being stingy, and we're not behaving in alignment with the truth. So, this, so let me just bring this back around. The, truth, the church is a spiritual family, brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers. And the church is a spiritual family that confesses and models the truth. We embrace the truth, we stand upon it, we share the truth, we raise it up, we raise up Christ. But that's not the final dynamic, though. We aren't just a social community unto ourselves. Because you can think about it, there's lots of communities that have this family language, they get together, and they have a, a shared set of core values, a shared sense of, of culture together, and they just hang out together. That's not the church. You see, the church has a specific mission. Or maybe another way to say it is, God has a mission, and His mission has a church. He has a people. This third dynamic speaks to that mission. That mission is that we spread the gospel. Now, we've been talking about the truth, and Paul highlights what that core truth is. He highlights what the central truth that the church models and confesses, namely, verse 16... He calls it the mystery of godliness. He says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And that mystery of godliness, it's all about Christ. 
Christ was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up to glory. You see, in Ephesus, they had this statement about Artemis. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. In fact, in Acts 19.34, where Paul's interacting with these people around their creed, Luke writes and says that for two hours, the entire city cried out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. This whole city shouting out this creed, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Paul says, no, no, no. The church, we have a better confession. Great is this confession. Great is this mystery of godliness. Great is Christ. The truth is Christ. Paul traces the greatness of Christ in his work. What you see there in verse 16 is probably one of the earliest creeds or hymns of the early church. One of the first creeds. Paul quotes this, I think, because everybody in the church in Ephesus knows it. He's like, let me just refer to this hymn or this creed that we all affirm and believe. And it reveals and it unpacks in a a short, succinct way the work of Jesus, both in heaven and on earth. It, It comes with three couplets, and this is how Paul works it out. The first couplet, Jesus was manifested in the flesh and vindicated by the Spirit, presents Christ's work as accomplished. Jesus came as a man put on flesh and blood, became a human being, lived a perfect sinless life, died for our sins in our place, and was raised to life again, vindicated by the Spirit. Jesus' work accomplished. The second couplet displays the work of Jesus as being made known. So in heaven, seen by the angels, Jesus' work marveled on, wondered upon by the angels. Angels longed to look into the things of salvation, and it was proclaimed, the work of Jesus proclaimed among the nations. The gospel goes out to every tongue and tribe and people and nation. Jesus' work, his greatness being made known. And the third couplet depicts the work of Jesus as being received. Jesus came and he accomplished something and something was proclaimed and that proclamation resulted in people believing and receiving that work as well. So he says, Christ's greatness is believed on in the world. Culturally, the gospel goes to all people and people embrace and believe Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our hope, and Jesus' work received, taken up into glory. One day we will be with him forever and ever, and all things will be made new and right. Now, this simple creed about Christ and the gospel reminds us that we as a church, as the pillar and foundation of the truth, are entrusted with this core reality. We're entrusted to take this gospel, as the creed says, among the nations, so that Christ might be believed on in all the world. This good news is for everybody. It's what we stand on. Jesus, perfect life, sacrificial death, glorious resurrection, vindicated, seen, proclaimed, believed, exalted. That's what we stand on, and that's what we share. One of the problems that we have in the church today is we can be too comfortable with our family size. We want the church to be cozy and safe, even comfortable. And I think there should be a degree of safety among us as a church family. We're sinners, and yet we're rescued by God's grace. But the church isn't intended to be a family that is so insulated and cozy and happy with itself that it's like an ingrown toenail that just bends in on each other. The church is intended to be a spiritual family that is consistently growing, adding new members to the family all the time. When you read the, the, the Acts of the Apostles, when you read that, you hear Luke talking about God's work in the church, and Luke all the time says, and day by day, God was adding numbers to the church. 
The church was growing. It was moving. We say it like this. Anybody can get in on this, on the gospel. Anybody can get in on Christ's good news. Anybody can get in on the love and mercy and forgiveness and joy and hope and redemption that Christ brings. Anyone. Now, if that's the truth that we believe, we've got to model it as well. The church has a mission. We have a God-given calling to spread the gospel, to tell people who are far from God, yes, your sin separates you from God, but good news, Jesus paid for your sin. He died for your sin. He has forgiven your sin so that if you would embrace him as your Lord and Savior, that breach is fixed. God adopts you back into his family and says, you're my kid, you're my son, my daughter, welcome home. The family should always be growing. We should be having adoption ceremonies all the time and adoption celebrations as God just saves person after person after person and the church grows and the gospel spreads and magnifies. That's the mission that the church has. Jesus articulated it by saying this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore... I just I could preach a sermon on the word, go therefore, like go, get out. Don't just sit in your comfy little chair and enjoy the family time together. We've got a mission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' greatness is advanced by the church proclaiming his greatness among the nations. So our ambition as a church family should be that we are a spiritual family that confesses and models the truth and grows because we share the truth of the gospel that Jesus is the great one. So let me conclude this way. Let's bring this home to some application. Who are we to be? How are we to be as a church? Let's get real specific with three things. First of all, because the church is a spiritual family, that stands on and confesses the truth and shares the gospel, I want to call you to become a member of the church. To be a member of the church is to just publicly, clearly, formally identify with, recognize, and say, Woodside is my church home. This is the spiritual family of Christians that I am with. I'm lock and step with as a spiritual family. Don't be just a regular attender or an occasional consumer of the goods and services of the church. Come into the family officially. Partner your life. Lock arms with us here as a part of the family of God. Now, maybe, first of all, you need to come to the universal family of God, the church across the world, by renouncing your sin today and placing your hope and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Trust in Him. Believe in Him. Get baptized. And then join the local church, this church, as a member. But become a member. That's the first way you can apply this. Our next membership class is next Sunday, our Next Steps Pathway, 9 a.m. in the conference room. That's the first step to becoming a member. So take that class. Dedicate yourself to that and to becoming a member at Woodside. That's one way you can apply this teaching of being part of a spiritual family. Secondly, join a life group. Connect with a spiritual family and dive into the truth of God's word on a weekly basis. It's good that each week we communicate the gospel from up here. But you've got to take the Word of God and to bear out the one another's of the Scripture, you've got to have some time and space to do that with family in the life of each other week to week, throughout the week. Spiritual family doesn't just happen on Sunday. It's the entire week through. So join a life group. Be discipled. Be known and let others know you. 
Let others invest in you. We have these books through uh, 1 Timothy, or at least some of them are around. We're starting this with our life groups this week. Connect with a life group. Get one of these. There's a way to get a list of life groups at the Connect table. Join a group. If you're a member here and you're not a part of a group, that's one of the marks that we say of healthy membership. So you should be part of a group, and I'd love to help you connect with one and be a part of one as well. Thirdly, lastly, get out with the gospel. Don't just expect the staff or me, the professional Christians, to be the ones sharing the gospel. The church as a whole has to be a missional family. You have networks and neighbors that I won't have the opportunity to connect with and to reach out to. But God's placed you there among them. Will you be faithful? Will you share? Will you identify someone who needs Christ? Invest your life in them. Invite them to join us for worship on a Sunday or into your life group. Implore them to come to Jesus. You have a responsibility to be one who shares the gospel as well. So let me land the plane. Who are we as a church? What is the church? The church is a family, a spiritual family that upholds the truth and spreads the gospel. So let's be those people. We have the truth of God's grace, his goodness for us in Christ. Let's take hold of that and be the people of God together, dedicated to him and to one another and to seeing the gospel for us. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.